I won't say I look for conflicts. I look for issues. Uh, but uh, when faced with conflicts, issues or problems, I, I actually do get energized by them. Because to me, uh, every issue or problem is an opportunity to learn and grow. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Raman Sagal, Recovering Marketer. And I'm Sharad Lal, the Curious Conversationist. Raman and I both got our start at PNG, the Procter & Gamble company, where we had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about. It's kind of like bringing a microphone to a cup of coffee. On today's show, we're talking to PNG alumni leader Shitij Mule. We spoke about the drive for excellence, growing as a leader, and finding purpose at work. Here's a quick bio. Shitij Mule is a commercial tech leader with over 20 years' experience across APAC in local, regional, and global capacity. Currently serving as the Asia CIO for Sephora, Shitij is enabling this prestige beauty business to win in digital, e-commerce, and data in the omni-channel world. Prior to joining Sephora, Shitij was a global CIO for SK2 and has also served as PNG India CIO and shared services leader. At PNG, Shitij was a master trainer for the corporate athlete and seven habits of highly effective people. As an engineer and MBA by qualification, Shitij lives in Singapore with his wife and teenage daughter. What I loved about our conversation was Shitij's passion and honesty. In our discussion, we spoke about never-ending quest for knowledge, taking feedback and acting on it, purpose, adversity and the lessons it represents, and a lot more. Overall, I feel this episode will inspire you to reconnect with the growth mindset and push yourself towards your highest potential. So let's dive right in. We hope you'll enjoy our conversation with Shitij Mule. Hey Shitij, welcome to the PNG Alumni Show. Great to have you here this afternoon in Singapore. Hey, thank you, Sharad. Uh, it's an honor to be on this show. I'm a big fan of this show. Uh, so many great leaders that I've worked with and that I've been inspired by have come and talked on this show. Um, it's been a source of inspiration for me. Um, and I'm so looking forward to this conversation. That's wonderful to hear. And I'm sure many people are going to be inspired by your story, Shitij. Before we go into your corporate journey right now, you're the CIO at Sephora. I'd love to understand who was Shitij Mule before all of this. If there's a personal story from childhood that you could share, that'll be great. Sure. I would go back to my uh, very early uh, uh, childhood days. Uh, I was born in India, uh, youngest of three siblings. Uh, my dad was in the army. Um, he was an engineer himself uh, and a scientist at that, um, uh, working on the India Missile Development Program at the time. Wow. Yeah. And my mom was a school teacher teaching high school. I had two elder sisters. Uh, uh, both of them were extremely, extremely uh, good in the academics as well as extracurricular activities. At home, the environment was one of uh, academic excellence. I was so inspired uh, by my sisters. They were my role model in many ways. My mom, being a school teacher herself, uh, was fairly academically oriented. Um, and that brought in us a sense of uh, competitiveness. 
So one of the early uh, memories I have as a kid in primary school is uh, my mom telling me that the passing grade uh, in any subject is 80%, right? So that was that was a standard. And I do recall, and maybe this was in grade one, grade two, I was probably five or seven years old. Uh, I remember coming home and telling her, hey, I've, I've flunked this exam uh, because I got less than 80, right? I got 75 or 78, uh, whatever. But... Uh, and then many times uh, over did I get less than 80. So I was by uh, no means like always the topper in the class. Uh, but I was I was uh, reasonably okay in academics, uh, if not in the top three ranks, then top, top five for sure. The two things that my elder sisters, uh, mom and dad really instilled in me is uh, really a pursuit of excellence, academic excellence as that. We lived in a, in a defense colony. Everybody came from roughly the same socioeconomic strata. Uh, so in a way, the... The yardstick of of social standing was how well the kids how well the kids were doing academically. I guess I guess this was quite typical uh, at the time in in early eighties, uh, growing up in a middle class family, uh, where academic uh, excellence and academic prowess was really in many ways the benchmark uh, our social standing uh, for family. So so that pursuit of excellence really was instilled uh, in me at a very early age, and so also being fiercely competitive. Uh, both in terms of academics, extracurricular activities, uh, uh, taking on leadership roles in, in school and, and outside uh, really was instilled in me from a, from a very, very early age uh, uh, while growing up in India. I was just picturing because I've, I've been to the army areas uh, in, in the small town that I grew up in. And like you said, the, the houses were all similar. Everyone was similar. And what differentiated them was how well the kids did. Yep. So I was wondering, growing up at that stage, did that, of course, that pushed you in academic excellence, but did that also put you back in terms of pressure and put a lot of stress? How did that play out in life? Well, I, I do remember my childhood was extremely happy. Uh, my, I had a very extremely uh, uh, happy childhood. And I owe to three factors, uh, really. I had a very supportive environment at home. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, though they did expect a lot from us kids, they, they loved us unconditionally. Uh, I had the love of two elder uh, uh, sisters, so I was adequately challenged, but also very well supported. Uh, had an extremely good network of friends. Um, I remember this was the time before the internet era. So, uh, I mean, there were so many avenues to de-stress. I mean, we used to play outdoors every day. At school, back home from school, I would be in a rush to complete my homework and go out and play every day. So there was also a lot of uh, release and there was never uh, so much as uh, a pent-up pressure uh, that, that got the better of me. So it was like work hard and, and play harder from a very early age. So growing up in this environment where, of course, you were stretched and you had to do and you got your best out of there, but you also had the support base and Absolutely. community. How did that lead to PNG? Right through school, I thought that I would join, uh, like my dad, probably the army or more so the Air Force. Uh, I, I, I shared the childhood dream, uh, like many kids uh, in my peer circle of being an Air Force pilot. Uh, so much so that I uh, did go for the NDA uh, selection uh, examination, did qualify and, and, and pass both the NDA uh, as well as the Air Force Medical only at the last minute to kind of drop that dream and, and go and pursue, uh, as many kids do in India, a career in engineering, right? In fact, the joke uh, or stereotype going around in India is, is kids first become an engineer and then start to think seriously on what to do with their lives, um, right? So I did, I did then for, uh, pursue my civil engineering. Um, but I did know that I was not cut out to be a civil engineer. Um, I worked on a few projects on site and, and then I felt that this was not for me. Um, this was the time when um, Y2K, which was year 2000 crisis, supposedly was looming. 
And I was one of the many engineers hired into the world of software, software development. And this was back in the day, IBM mainframe and programming. And I did that for, for two years, um, right? Uh, uh, only to realize that, hey, I, I don't want to be a programmer either, uh, right? And what I really enjoyed uh, uh, through my two years uh, uh, back at Tata Infotech are uh, when we used to have meetings to translate business requirements into design software design, uh, when we would have uh, meetings to really brainstorm on ideas to solve problems uh, versus the time when we would have to go back to our desk and, and start to code or program. So I realized that I don't want to be a programmer for life either. What I want to do is really work on the intersection of business and technology, right, which propelled me to do then an MBA. Um, and then through MBA, I got an opportunity to work as initially a summer intern uh, in product supply and PNG. And then eventually uh, for the love of technology, I did come back and interview twice. Uh, again with PNG and was uh, and was hired into the IT function. This was back in two thousand one um, now in India, um, right? So so I persevered in terms of uh, always following my passion, not settling for what what I thought would be uh, good enough. Um, and I think that has stood well for me um, also. If you could talk about two thousand and one, you joined PNG, yep. and and you're the intersection, like you said, of technology and business. What were some of the early lessons you learned at PNG? Oh, there are so many. In fact, when I joined back in 2001, this was a time where uh, I was working on the distributor IT systems in India, India being a high frequency store market. Most of our business ran through distributors. And, and this was still a time when most of the distributor sales folks would take the orders from the retailers on pen and paper uh, using what was called the call sheets. Right. And one of, the, one of the first projects that I led together with a couple of my uh, multifunctional partners was to automate that process through um, what was back then called palm top computers, uh, what is today referred to as Salesforce automation. So we were the first FMCG company to really digitize the order taking process in retail HFS stores back in India. So much so that we automated 100% of our business that was previously running through manual call sheets, pen and paper to run through palm top computers and Salesforce automation tools. Uh, we even automated uh, the entire distributor backroom through a custom uh, inbuilt ERP platform that we coded through uh, a vendor in-house. We were also the first company to launch a web-based scorecard uh, for tracking distributor sales. It was called India Distributor Scorecard. And it was a web portal in the very early days uh, before the cloud era, uh, where you could go online and track distributor sales at district, city, town, and even at a store level, uh, which, was, which was back in the day, I'm talking from 2001 through to 2005. Uh, fairly revolutionary, never been done before and, and quite part breaking, right? So from a very early time in PNG, uh, I had the good fortune uh, uh, and opportunity to work on stuff that was uh, new to the market, right? I mean, trailblazing sounds like a, a very fancy term, but uh, really uh, that was one of our first forays into doing stuff for the first time. And the lesson I learned is just because something has not been done before doesn't mean it can't be done. If anything, it can be uh, if you just put your mind to it and persevere. That was PNG at the time, uh, which which is which is the advantage of working in PNG, where you get to do things on the edge of innovation. And indeed, at that stage, it was a lot of technology coming in. And and, and I love the lesson you said that it was the first time you were trying things. So if it wasn't done before, you were going to frontiers that were never checked before. Indeed. Now, what were some of the big challenges that you remember? If there's maybe a story about a challenge during that time, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, in 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 this example that I gave, uh, I gave uh, we worked across a spectrum of uh, uh, distributors and and distributor sales force, uh, both in cities as well as in smaller towns and 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 villages. 
right and 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 some of these people were were not very literate even though they were they were in sales and they they knew how to take orders uh, right but they were not conversant in reading english right and how do you teach someone to take orders using an interface where, where the interface is in english but they don't they don't really read and write uh, or speak english right so we train them saying hey uh, on this menu you drill down and select the third one to go into the order form right and and this is the sequence of products order so this is how you navigate through categories and and then i was surprised that they would just memorize the sequence and then they would be able to take orders even though they would not be able to uh, you know fluently read the written word but they would of course inherently understand the brand names be it hna spantine or or whatever you so training distributor sales people who are who are not uh, uh, who are not uh, as conversant in english on on a palm top computer where the interface was in english was in challenge but we overcome that automating distributor backrooms uh, in branches where there was no electricity seemed like a pipe dream at the time like how would you run computer systems when for 8 like 8 hours a day there is no electricity but but we ran the backrooms using generators and what have you all right um, and and introduced printers and 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 ups and and backups uh, uh, which uh, were initially almost uh, uh, seemingly impossible tasks and 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 having pulled these off uh, also gave me a life lesson that 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 when you go after something that at the outset seems impossible and you pull it off uh, the the confidence that you get is 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 immense uh, right and and then the, it creates a self belief to basically take on bigger and bigger challenges uh, which which as I will to do through the course of my career so with india with these projects you build confidence and then i know you stepped up to go to singapore and then afterwards australia how was that experience like moving out of india you'd spent all your life here and suddenly going overseas Yeah my first expat assignment came 4 years into the company and it was actually to uh, Sydney Australia a I was uh, uh, changing countries um I was uh, um, also changing categories uh, Australia primarily is uh, a modern retail uh, market it's a very beauty care uh, focused market um and also also changing domains so I was moving from a sales IT role to a marketing brand uh, and technology uh, role um so it couldn't be more diverse uh, in terms of the experiences uh, uh, it offered both from a cultural standpoint as well as from a work standpoint um but i gave myself 3 months uh, really to learn right and and the funny story uh, which i learned later was the receiving manager at the time said hey if 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 kshitish doesn't really have experience in modern retail if he doesn't doesn't really understand uh, the world of consumer and brand and marketing then then maybe you should not send him here Uh, uh, right so uh, and i later became uh, great friends uh, with her and, and i reported into her for a few years but uh, what i said to myself is by the time they figure me out i need to figure out the space um uh, and i immersed myself for the first 3 months like a sponge learning everything a from external agency uh, uh, partners b doing a lot of my research online and and teaching myself the ins and outs of uh, digital marketing brand building uh be it uh, website updates email marketing crm program hosting and what have you the fancy term for that later came to be called hands on keyboard uh, but my first 4 years in india building distributor uh, uh, systems my subsequent 3 years in australia uh, where i was to joke that i am the ceo and janitor of uh, digital marketing for png australia new zealand uh was really hands on keyboard uh, work uh, where where i basically rolled up my sleeves got my hands dirty um, i had i had the i had the self belief and confidence that uh, uh, nothing is impossible and if i just put my mind to it and persevere i'll, I'll come out on top and then i had excellent 3 years 3 uh, years in australia culturally it was initially difficult to assimilate i i always thought i was an extrovert uh, back in india um uh, but the australian culture uh, which was uh, uh, so uh, in the face uh, uh, and 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 fairly loud uh, i almost felt that okay i'm i'm turning into an introvert uh, uh, here 
but I got into my own uh, in a year or two and, and it was it was great. I made some great friendships both externally, some of the people I'm still in touch with, as well as internally within the company, uh, right? That stood, up, uh, that stood the test of time. So, Shushit, as you enter mid-career, what were you discovering about yourself? What were the key skills you had? And what are the things that you think you needed to build at this stage? Absolutely. Um, I think I think as as I did my assignment in Australia, um, uh, it was very, very evident to me that I needed to build my career and my skill set along three vectors. First was really uh, being an IT guy. It's a technology vector and I, what I would call as technical depth, right? I, I needed to be uh, a master uh, at the technical domain. With the consumerization of IT, every business professional is conversant with technology. So that only raises the bar even further for IT professional to be one or two steps ahead, right? So that's the first vector is really be a master of technology, at least for the domain that uh, you are charged to lead, right? And and 70% of that comes through hands-on work, 20% comes through uh, networking and talking to peers, 10% might come through self-learning or training courses and and what have you. So that's still the first vector. The second vector is uh, really business mastery. Uh, one of the things I realize is you gain credibility and trust with your business partners, be it in sales as I experienced firsthand back in India or with the marketing or brand partners when you understand the business, right? They need to have the trust and confidence that you understand the business just as well as they do, right? So immerse yourself in terms of understanding the sales processes, the marketing processes back in PNG. It was the brand building framework, the who, what, how, um, going to consumer research, talking to consumers talking to retailers and, and getting a first-hand uh, feel of the uh, business. So business mastery is super critical uh, for all technology roles that are embedded in the business. That's a skill I uh, realized I needed to continue to uh, develop and, and still do even till today. And the third one is organizational mastery. Uh, the organizational mastery is all about the people aspect, uh, right? Uh, we, we, we achieve results through people. Uh, we achieve results with people. Um, and we achieve results by inspiring people. So uh, that's the third aspect. So as I was getting into a leadership role with my former peers becoming some of my direct reports, I realized that I had to build the trust and the respect uh, in them um, to be able to get the best out of them, to be able to get the best out of me and collectively deliver uh, versus our objective. So, so I would say those are the three uh, vectors how I decided to really invest in myself uh, uh, in terms of uh, technical depth, uh, business mastery, as well as organizational mastery and understanding. Did any of these uh, seem challenging to you? And how did you go about developing the challenging one? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Through my time in Australia, um, I was working extensively uh, uh, with my counterparts in North America and Canada. Coincidentally, one of the hosts of this uh, uh, podcast, uh, Raman Segal, I know uh, I know him from back in my day in Sydney, Australia. I remember he was working on the hair care business in North America. Uh, and then there are some uh, notes that we uh, exchanged. Uh, however, Australia being a slightly uh, developed and a different market to rest of Southeast Asia and Asia region, uh, I was not as closely connected to my peer and tech uh, uh, team uh, that were based in Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, even in India. And those are fairly um, nascent or primitive markets uh, when it came to digital and internet marketing back in the day. So much so that when when it was time for me to uh, get promoted, one of the one of the feedbacks to my surprise uh, that I heard, which which kind of uh, uh, took me aback a bit, and if I, if I may say, uh, was a bit of a setback, was that my leadership and management weren't confident that I would be a good organizational leader. Um, and, and, and why is that? Uh, because uh, one of the truths that emerged, uh, which has helped me over the years a lot, is when we over-leverage our strengths, they become our weakness. And I stepped back and 
and say, ah, I know what's going on here. The strength I was over leveraging was focus, right? So I was so focused, so much so that to the outside world, I seemed a bit self-absorbed and, and even selfish, uh, if, if you may, um, right? So they were right in their concerns saying, hey, will he be accepted as a leader? Right, because he does seem like he's in his own world and so super focused as an individual contributor delivering. And I thought I was doing what's required of me for and doing what's right for the Australia business. All right, that I might not have the time or energy to invest uh, in, in, in growing others. To be honest, nothing could be farther from the truth. Uh, but I decided not to contest that feedback, um, right, which, which was one of the best decisions I, I took. Because, hey, I could have gone back with examples, but you know, versus talking to my peers in Singapore or, or Southeast Asia, you know, if you talk to the counterparts in North America and Canada, they would watch for me how collaborative I am. Talk to my business partners in brand and marketing and they would watch for me. But, but I, I knew that was not, not going to be a very productive uh, uh, conversation. So I said, hey, you know what? Why don't I actually take the lead and invest in sharing some of the knowledge and, and good work that we were doing in Australia with the rest of my peers in Southeast Asia. So I flew down from Sydney to Singapore, organized a, uh, a one-week college, a training program, which was the first interactive marketing manager college uh, in this part of the world, uh, Australasia, India, and ASEAN region at the time, um, right? And and got the entire team to basically look at case studies and work we had done over the last two to three years in Australia. I even uh, got some people from the US to share their uh, uh, examples. And then that became an annual exercise. So I led that out of Singapore for a year. When I moved to Japan, we hosted one uh, such college in uh, Japan. We hosted one in China. That that actually became an annual event of uh, sharing best practices. It was called Interactive Marketing Manager College. The role morphed into Digital Marketing Manager, Digital Consumer Analyst, and, and then actually became, became almost institutionalized as a way to share and uh, uh, reapply learnings across markets, right? So that, that's, that's one example that comes to mind where, where what was uh, initially a career setback of sorts uh, maybe might have delayed my promotion by six months to even a year. Uh, actually, in hindsight, was a great blessing in disguise because I realized the importance of uh, um, um, not just uh, uh, building the business, but also growing and building the organization, uh, which, which is something that I uh, try and do every day. And as you've gone up as a leader, how has your leadership style evolved? Oh, absolutely. So one of, uh, one of the insights or, or beliefs I have is that while organizations uh, give you designations and, and, and roles, um, it is the people that make you the leader, right? So I, I, never, take, uh, I never take the leadership trust and, and respect for granted. I do think this is something that we need to earn every day uh, through our organization and people. My leadership philosophy is uh, expect high uh, standards and set the standards high for others, but set the standards even higher for oneself, right? I really believe in role modeling as the best way to train and coach the organization. One of the uh, one of the tips for success, uh, which uh, which which I would often uh, impart to my direct reports and and people I mentor, is uh, set really high standards for yourself, so that even if you miss them, you are still bound to exceed the expectation or exceed uh, the goals set for you by the organization and by the managers, uh, right? So as I do that, I think some of that positive energy, some of that high standards, going back to my childhood pursuit of excellence, competitiveness, uh, has rubbed off. Uh, I would I would. Uh, say on the people that I have uh, worked closely with who have uh, worked with me whom I've coached and mentored over the years right and this is this is something I would say as a leadership philosophy I've always tried to imbibe which is uh, attitude is contagious uh, is yours worth catching right uh, uh, energy is contagious so 
we all bring energy to the work we do. So how do you make it positive, right? And every meeting uh, I have with my direct reports, you know, am I doing enough to kind of fill his or her gas tank in a way that they leave the one-on-one room uh, more positively charged and more uh, uh, engaged than when they came in. Um, and I've, I've, I've learned this through working with great leaders and managers in PNG as well. And then not all interactions have, have been uh, hunky-dory and great. There have been meetings where I've come back with so deflated and tired that I would rather just pack my bags and go home, right? And, and those situations I've kind of told myself, hey, I don't want to be that kind of a manager. I don't want to be in a situation where somebody leaving a meeting with me is, is deflated, tired and just wants to go home. All right. There are days when I feel I've not given my 100%, right? And I do think managers have a pivotal role to play in terms of bringing out, uh, bringing out the best in um, um, all of us, especially our direct reports uh, that we coach and mentor. Who are some great managers and leaders you've worked with? Oh, so many. So across uh, my 21 years at PNG, I've, I've done seven different assignments across four different locations. Uh, and, and work for about uh, nine or 10 different managers uh, and some of them on multiple assignments, uh, right? And I've been blessed. I would say each and every one of them was a great leader. And there's something I've learned from all of them. Um, just to give you an example, and I will pick a few. My very first uh, uh, manager, uh, uh, P. Venkat, he's still with the company uh, here in uh, uh, Singapore. He hired me into the organization. I worked uh, uh, directly for him for four years. We achieved some great things together. So what I learned from him was really uh, being meticulous, being organized, being structured, and then also pursue excellence and speed, right? Uh, which was not to say that it was always easy. There were times where I've had to write out an issue sheet three times, four times, five times, uh, seven times. I mean, how many times I had to write, uh, rewrite it was, was, was not, the, not the point, but getting it right. Um, was uh, uh, was important, uh, right? So in that sense, he was uh, a perfectionist uh, at the time, but I think he instilled in me critical thinking, um, which which has uh, uh, stood by me over over now over two decades, right? So I'm I'm forever uh, thankful and grateful uh, to him for that. He was also a great friend, uh, coach, and and, and mentor. Another manager uh, I worked uh, with uh, did this very frequently, uh, which was if the natural human tendency is when somebody does a good job, you praise them. And uh, when somebody is uh, failing, uh, you reprimand them or, or you give them uh, negative feedback, uh, right? And that's the natural human behavior. Uh, um, this leader did exactly the opposite of that, uh, which, was, uh, which was a term uh, that's referred to as coaching against the cycle. What's coaching against the cycle? Which is if somebody is doing well, you push them even harder. You challenge them. Um, and when somebody is failing or, or uh, falling short, you support them. You, you give them words of encouragement. Uh, you, you lift them up, uh, right? Uh, but he, I, he role modeled that behavior, uh, which I found uh, extremely fascinating, uh, right? So these are just a couple of uh, examples in terms of how some of the managers uh, have, have had a super positive impact on me over the years. Do you remember any fork in the road in your career, which is an important point? And how did you go about thinking of that? Oh, sure. I mean, very early in my career, right out of 12th grade, as I finished uh, schooling, I was all set to join the Indian Air Force. Uh, my childhood dream was to be a, a fighter pilot. And there I had an opportunity to go ahead and pursue that. Um, right. Uh, however, one of the great influences in my life at the time and even now, uh, my mom uh, really advised and coached me against it. Uh, for she felt that with the um, academic prowess and the aspiration and the ambition I had, I would do well in civilian uh, life, uh, be it in the field of engineering, management, or whatever it is that I decided to pursue. 
I did talk extensively uh, to quite a few army officers, um, uh, understood uh, what army life is beyond the first 5, 10, 15 uh, years where there is a lot of glamour and, and, and adventure. Um, and then made a call, which, uh, which I'm quite thankful uh, for, which co- because it was a call made at a very early age in my late teens, uh, but was a decision based on uh, long-term prospects. Right. And, and the career I've had over the years, uh, uh, international career in a company like PNG, now Sephora, part of the LVMH group, uh, is something I'm extremely thankful um, for. Right. But had I taken the other road, perhaps I would have been as, as, as just as successful, uh, but uh, working in the Indian Defense Forces, uh, life would have been very different for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now 21 years down, you can look back and say, yes, that decision worked out for you. How's the transition been from PNG to Sephora? Very different companies. Both are great institutions. I mean, uh, I would I would say PNG has taught me everything um, uh, I know. I've I've worked in the company for twenty one years. It is it is a leadership factory. Uh, the focus on on people, organization development, promoting from within is unparalleled. Unparalleled, uh, right? At the same time, Sephora has its own uniqueness and so many things which I would say are are a breath of fresh air. And those would be passion, um, entrepreneurship, creativity. Um, uh, the decentralized organization uh, structure, though it's a sizable business, we work as a startup, uh, the entrepreneurial mindset and great people, uh, uh, great people across both uh, companies. So though both are great cultures, uh, they couldn't be more different uh, in many ways. Uh, PNG is uh, super standardized, focus on processes. Sephora is more uh, focused on creativity, uh, uh, doing the right thing, uh, but doing the right thing doesn't always imply that there's only one way. To do it right, and and that's something that's something I'm finding very refreshing. I've been now here for over a year, uh, and I would say I've accustomed to the change uh, uh, better than I had even anticipated uh, coming into this role. That's very interesting. Like we were talking about this before the podcast, where the first job after PNG very often for people is difficult, and especially if you worked with PNG for twenty years, it, it's a difficult transition. But it's it's great how you've actually easily made that transition and and gained from it. Absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, uh, funny is that as it might sound, uh, after joining PNG, uh, the interview I took at Sephora was my first interview in twenty one years. So I've not even not even interviewed or or <laughs> talked to a recruiter or hiring manager in twenty one years. Uh, and and from the people that I've uh, spoken to who have left or graduated from PNG, I've realized that about half of them leave the next company in eighteen months. And the insight I had is because they are somehow, I guess, looking for the next PNG. That doesn't exist. Uh, so when I was leaving PNG, I, I had I had no I had no uh, no such desire to go and try and find the next PNG. So a little bit of that is expectation uh, and self expectations. Uh, and I did realize that it would be very uh, different. At the same time, I did realize that it would be an opportunity to learn and and grow. One of the things I've always coached and mentored people uh, uh, in PNG is PNG is a subset of your career. Your career is not a subset of PNG. And I knew at the back of my head, this was just as true for me as it was for anyone else, right? And in the words of, I guess it was uh, Jim Lafferty who said it at the time when he left PNG is that everybody leaves PNG at some point, right? So I realized uh, 21 years uh, into the company that yes, this was the right time for me to uh, pursue new horizons and, uh, um, you know, expand my envelope, uh, career envelope uh, beyond uh, uh, PNG. Uh, and I'm glad I made that choice. Moving on, is there any occasion you remember where you faced adversity, where you faced bias during your career? Uh, not so much adversity or bias, but uh, one of the first memories that comes to mind uh, is is uh, uh, on one of the business trips uh, uh, 
about, I would say, uh, 15 years ago to China, uh, one of the global managers uh, very innocently and nonchalantly asked me, hey, Kshitij, what's your Christian name? And that took me aback a little bit, uh, right? So yes, uh, Kshitij is, is, is not a very easy name to pronounce, uh, but I didn't have a Christian name or an English name. Um, and and he was he was uh, he was very well intentioned, uh, right? And and I did discover that everybody in China, as they join PNG, uh, does assume an English name or is assigned uh, one. Um, that was so not the case with me. That did make me realize that hey, uh, there are different cultures, and uh, we need to embrace the diversity uh, across. But that is something we also need to educate our global leaders. Uh, um, and and then there was no bias, but then there was the realization that yes. Uh, you know we are we are different, but when with the different uh, diversity comes uh, comes our uniqueness and also uh, a source of our strength. We were talking earlier, and, and you were very passionately talking about purpose, having meaning at work. What does that mean to you? I think through different uh, different life stages, uh, uh, my my meaning and purpose has uh, has changed over the years. Uh, right as as I was growing up and growing into png into leadership roles it was all about growth 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 and and, and you know if i look at my five uh, values uh, uh, i try and spend all my 24 hours uh, aligned to one of these five values uh, and i'll start by just listing what they are and double click uh, into the question that you asked uh, i would say the first is family second is health third is integrity fourth is growth and the fifth is knowledge right so I try and make sure that everything I'm doing in the course of the day is aligned to one of these uh, uh, values. But I also realize at different points in time in my life and career, different things take precedence one over the other, right? So yes, initial part of the career, my purpose is all, all about growth, bringing out the best in me, uh, making it, uh, being successful in my career. I was, I was quite, uh, I wouldn't say fixated, but quite driven in terms of vertical career growth within the company, right? As I became a, a, a proud new dad, uh, in my early 30s, uh, the, the focus very quickly shifted to being um, a father, being present for my um, um, daughter, right? And and family. Um, all through, I've always uh, uh, tried to keep up with knowledge. Uh, I'm I'm totally into self-help books. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always reading something to uh, uh, learn and improve uh, on. Long before even the term straight talk uh, uh, became fashionable, I've always been a straight talker because to me that goes back to my value of integrity. Uh, do as you say, uh, uh, and and say as you do, and 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 no bullshit in terms of uh, what you say and what you do. Um, and the last one uh, really is uh, in terms of growing others, uh, right? Which is basically growth, but not just for self, but uh, but for the team uh, uh, as well. Now, through the last few years, as I've grown into organization leadership role, my focus again. And my daughter is a teenager; she doesn't need me as much as uh, when she was a small uh, kid. Uh, really, the focus is on um, organization development, uh, building leadership pipeline, uh, and uh, growing the uh, growing the tech team. And I've had the great privilege of doing that in my current role as the CIO at Sephora Asia. Prior to this, in the global CIO role at SK2 in Prestige Skin and Beauty Care at PNG, and prior to that, uh, for five years in PNG India as the GBS and IT leader. So I've, I've I've always kind of tried to leave behind a legacy of extremely strong leaders whom I've uh, personally coached and um, uh, grow into leadership positions. Very nice balance. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I couldn't help uh, double-clicking on self-help and growth. And it, it, just looking at you and talking to you, it strikes me how you are into knowledge. You just want to get to know more and more. And you've got self-help and technical knowledge. Where do you find time for this and how do you get this knowledge? 
I would say I've learned the most uh, by doing things hands-on or working on the job. I, I, I briefly referred to in an earlier uh, uh, example, the 70-20-10 model. Um, so the 70% of uh, knowledge is really problem solving. By nature, I am one who gravitates to problems, right? So uh, while I wouldn't say I look for conflicts, I look for issues. Uh, but uh, when faced with conflicts, issues or problems, I, I actually do get energized by them. Because to me, uh, every issue or problem is an opportunity to learn and grow. All right. So that a lot of it is hands-on, be it technical, be it business-related, be it even people-related problem, organizational uh, uh, issues. And then when faced with that problem, I go deep into doing what I would call subject matter research, right? Learning up everything or reading up everything that is available on the topic, be it on the internet, book. Uh, I'm an avid uh, a reader. I use my library membership uh, extensively here in Singapore at the NLB uh, uh, library. There are always three or four books at my bedside. Uh, uh, from the library that I'm uh, uh, reading up. And I, I would say uh, learning from peers and networks is 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 the other way. Um, I do learn a lot from everybody on the job and also a fair bit in terms of self-training and uh, um, um, uh, learning through online resources, though I'm not a big fan of certifications. But uh, yeah, where needed, I do I do uh, read up particularly on, on, on technicals, uh, um, uh, research papers and, and, and training courses, which are available now on multiple platforms, be it Coursera, Udemy, um, or what have you. What are the three, four books on your bedside right now? Couple of books on my bedside. The one I'm reading right now is called uh, Team of Teams. A book I read uh, a few years uh, ago, which, which I would recommend is uh, a book by David Goggins, Can't Hurt Me. There is uh, The Adversity Advantage uh, by Eric Weinmeier. Um, there's No Shortcuts to the Top by Ed Westers, uh, a mountaineer. Most of the books I read nowadays are nonfiction, um, self-help, business, or biographies and stories of great people. Uh, back in the day, growing up through school, I've read my fair share of fiction novels, be it Arthur Haley, Agatha Christie, Robert Ludlum. Uh, but now what inspires me is uh, really real-life stories of, of uh, um, real people and leaders. Uh, particularly stories of people who have overcome adversity and, and uh, come from either humble or, or, you know, even disadvantaged beginnings to uh, really make it uh, big in life, overcome and, and be successful. And in all your reading, you've named these people who've come through adversity. What is your biggest learning? How do they do it? I think my biggest learning is, uh, it's all about energy management. Right. And energy management, as, as, as I've learned to uh, uh, understand and also train through one of the training courses uh, I used to run back in PNG called the Corporate Athlete Program, is really about managing four facets of our energy. Right. That's most basic one being the physical energy, healthy, the physical energy our bodies uh, carry. Then it's the mental energy, the ability to really process information, analyze things. Emotional energy, it's all about the heart, right? Staying on the positive side. Uh, and then perhaps most importantly, spiritual energy which is really about the focus, drive, and purpose. So to answer your question, I think what really separates these uh, great men who overcome adversity is really immense spiritual energy and internal focus and drive, right? We talk a lot about inspiration, um, right? And one of the things I've realized is inspiration comes and grows. Uh, inspiration somehow is also extraneous, right? And, and is therefore limited uh, by the external input. But uh, what is limitless is drive. Drive is internal, um, right? Uh, and, and that is very difficult to create, uh, uh, right? Because it's, it's something that you generate internally. And, and that is what I refer to also as spiritual energy, uh, which, uh, which then helps uh, 
helps one achieve seemingly impossible tasks or, or you know, go through adversities and come out on top. Yeah, it's almost like you have to cancel the noise and go deep within yourself and understand what really is important, yep. what really drives you and tap onto that because that has immense potential. Yeah, I mean, the world within is so much, uh, I personally believe that the world within is so much bigger than the world outside. And as, as somebody has once said, we, we live our lives in our head. So I do, I do, I do look uh, uh, within a lot. Uh, uh, I won't say I'm a religious person, but I'm deeply spiritual. Uh, and for that, uh, for that, I would say uh, a lot of things like mental resilience, overcoming adversity comes from um, really looking within. Now you're working so hard and you've done so well. And how do you balance work and life? As has been said often, um, um, uh, work-life balance is extremely individual and, and personal, um, right? And, and the philosophy I subscribe to is really work-life integration. Um, and, and what that means uh, for me is uh, work is a very important part of my life. So I don't really look at it separate to my life per se. Uh, so much so that uh, I, I have gone on record to say this. I say this very often in town hall meetings, large gatherings, as well as uh, team meetings that I look at my colleagues at work as my work family. And I refer to them as my work family, um, uh, right? Because we spend so much time at work, right? And we are not doing it just, just to earn money. Of course, yes, we're doing it to earn money and support our families, uh, but it is for our growth, our personal growth and growth of uh, colleagues that work with us. Uh, so surely they are more than colleagues, right? So I, I, really, I really look at them as my work family. And, and so much so that work doesn't seem work anymore. It, it, it feels like a bunch of family members coming together to accomplish uh, 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 something. And I, I habitually take my personal life into my work and I habitually bring my work uh, uh, into my personal life. I don't have very hard defined boundaries, uh, so to speak. So, so that's the work-life integration uh, uh, philosophy. Having said that, um, I do take disengagement breaks. So I have, I have over the years, particularly since I would say I turned 30, invested a lot in staying fit. To me, um, staying fit and, and, and healthy is a very, very important part of giving my 100% to my work and also to my family. Uh, one of the things I realized quite early is, is uh, the days I do my morning runs or exercise are the days when I have, I'm full of energy and confidence. And the days where I either wake up late, don't get my exercise, are the days when I have low energy, I'm not giving my best. So, so this is really the integral part of the four dimensions of energy is being so strongly interconnected, right? So investing in my health, in, investing in my mental prowess, emotional well-being is just as uh, uh, important uh, for me to give my 100% both at work uh, and also uh, back at home. And I know you like self-help books and James Clear kind of said yep. that, that when you stack habits, it's that one critical habit uh, which you need to get in. And for some people, it's sleep. For some people, it's morning exercise. And then that puts all the other habits together. And I think for you, it's, it's exercise and you get that in the morning and the days flow well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So we've covered a few things. Um, now, in terms of work right now with Sephora, you're the CIO. How are you thinking about your future at work? What are your plans? Well, uh, I'm an uh, eternally optimistic uh, uh, person, uh, while at the same time uh, also being skeptical and also uh, real, realizing the fact that nothing ever is permanent, uh, uh, right? So I'm, I'm super excited by the digital transformation journey that we have embarked uh, upon that that started before my time, but that I have had the uh, privilege of uh, uh, leading in the last one year, particularly in Asia, uh, which is which is a growth uh, region for us globally, and within Asia, uh, China, which is uh, a large chunk of our uh, business. And and I feel we are just getting started in terms of uh, internalizing our tech talent, building our 
internal uh, tech teams and then investing in digital and technology uh, to provide the best uh, uh, experience for our shoppers uh, in a way that makes us the most loved beauty brand uh, in the retail sector in the world. Um, so I'm super uh, optimistic about uh, what lies ahead, though I do realize that uh, business goes through uh, cycles, ups and downs, uh, right? Um, so I, I try and not get too deflated when either there's a slowdown. Um, it's, it's never as bad as it's projected. Uh, and even if the going is great, uh, it, it will it will uh, it will eventually uh, plateau and decline. So uh, having seen a few business cycles, I'm I'm, um, uh, I'm optimistic, but at the same time uh, skeptical. So uh, so as to be not surprised uh, by anything that uh, that happens. So let's now change tracks into into fun stuff. And uh, we'll just do a quick fire and see what comes to mind. OK, what about you surprises people? So. I am fairly uh, extroverted in the work context uh, and I do, uh, I'm quite vocal uh, in, in social settings outside of uh, work. But what might surprise people is uh, I'm actually fairly introverted in family settings in my personal life. If there's a person out there who you'd love to get coffee with, it could be anyone, who would that be? Well, uh, like I said uh, earlier, I'm, 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 I'm deeply spiritual, uh, though not uh, religious. And, and, and then uh, the people that come to mind are, are, are people who uh, spiritually uh, are my role models, um, right? And the name that emerges at the top of my head is, is somebody I don't think would partake in coffee that's a stimulant, <laughs> um, is, is uh, probably uh, Gautam Buddha. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, probably uh, uh, Gautam Buddha, hoping for some of his uh, uh, spiritual energy and presence to uh, rub off on me. Do you meditate? Yeah. So uh, while I've never taken the foot off the gas pedal, a question often asked in this uh, a podcast, uh, over the last uh, two decades, uh, I, have, I have taken what I call very strategic disengagement breaks or retreats. Um, I was extremely fortunate coming out of college in my early 20s to be uh, uh, introduced to this technique of meditation um, that's called Vipassana uh, meditation uh, on the on the alliance of teachings of uh, uh, the Buddha, um, right? As taught by uh, a teacher S.N. Goenka on the tradition of Sayagi Yubakin from Burma. And these are 10-day retreats uh, where the primary objective is to uh, focus on breath and look within. And these are 10-day silent retreats, uh, which which are a big reset, a uh, big, big reset. And, and through those 10 days, it almost seems like an eternity, uh, but gives uh, gives immense uh, uh, power uh, coming out in terms of, uh, I would say, filling up the uh, spiritual energy uh, uh, tank and, and resetting. And I've done this when I've had major life state changes, be it international relocation from India, Australia, through to Japan uh, and Singapore, and now between jobs uh, uh, from P&G to Sephora. And each of them has uh, really helped me center myself, um, get my balance and uh, um, really fill me, uh, fill me with positivism and uh, uh, kindness to move, uh, move forward. Uh, balance, so to speak, my drive with a little bit more of, uh, I would say, consideration and empathy uh, that, that we so need uh, uh, in the busy lives that we lead. Favorite restaurant in Singapore? Wow. Favorite restaurant in Singapore? Uh, I would say Celavine uh, uh, MBS, uh, uh, maybe not for the few food, but for the views. Thank you for that. So as we bottom line, what's the one final piece of advice or challenge you'd like to give the next generation? 
my piece of advice would be uh, step out of your comfort zone. Um, do something that makes you uh, uncomfortable. Uh, it comes from my uh, belief that 100% of our growth lies outside of our comfort zone. So that's something I would uh, uh, tell everyone. Do something that makes you uncomfortable because that's where the growth is. Thanks, Shitaj. And thanks for such a passionate, honest conversation. I love talking. This is the first time we met. I love talking with you. And I'm sure many people are going to get a lot out of this. Thank you very much. Thank you, Shara. Thanks for the opportunity. It was my pleasure. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast or email pgalumpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network, a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment in communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. That's it for this week. I've been Sharad Lal. And I'm still Raman Segal. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.